When I was 13 years old and James Cameron's Titanic was fresh and only in the cinema before the film lived in eternal repetition in perpetuity on cable and then on YouTube and then in memes, I would see the film in the theater and then go home to close my eyes to see it again. I would replay what I thought I remembered and then I'd fill in the gaps between scenes long before James Cameron blew our minds by releasing almost an hour of deleted scenes at this point, later on hours of behind-the-scenes footage. If you've never watched the 17-minute-long crew video that's on the special edition Blu-ray of Titanic, just drop everything that you're doing right now, prioritize that, and come back. But, I mean, I joke, but seriously, to see the process of making that movie, it's like a time machine watching that video. And it will make you crave something simpler. It will make you crave being a part of something that big and important. My point is, back in 1997, 1998, while we waited for the VHS, which would be released like a year later at that point. Uh, Movies did not come out onto home video for months and months and months. So we waited and there wasn't much online to fill in the blanks. Going online was a new thing, a weird thing for most people, arguably a much more lovely thing than it is now. And we'll talk about all that in a minute. I had this huge breathing monster of a Windows desktop computer in my bedroom as a kid and a preteen and a teen. If you're listening to this and you're younger than, say, 25, probably, you may not even have a true frame of reference for what it was like to go online in this way. And that's not your fault. And in many ways, good for you. Uh, But we're talking these, you know, huge hardware towers on desktops and America online CDs that you had to put in the CD-ROM drive to even go online. Uh, Dial-up modems. And most importantly, this heart-shatteringly slow way in which web pages would load. So you really had to work at what you wanted to see online. (laughs) A lot of waiting. But I found somehow a community of Titanic obsessives and fan fiction writers, and I sort of found my people. I was 13. Kate Winslet fan pages, Leo fan pages, pages and pages of slow loading photos and these links that led to what we called story pages. There was a moderator and you submitted chapters via email, old classic copy and paste. I wrote a soapy, syrupy, cringe edit now uh, story about Jack surviving. What about Rose having Jack's baby? And I mean, poor Jack, just at the bottom of the ocean and never is going to meet this little blonde cherubic baby that I wrote about. Um, a few years later, still into it, I wrote a completely alternate universe story in which Jack and Rose are, wait for it, journalists in modern day California. Now, my stories were pretty innocent. I was very young. But let me tell you, the Titanic fan fiction community then and still now, from what I can tell, is wild and wonderfully wacky and at times rated a hard M for mature, you guys. And in some ways, I appreciate it now more than ever and the impulses behind it more than ever. But fan fiction in the late 90s, it was niche, surgically niche. I told almost no one in my real life about this part of it, this way I practiced my writing in secret and with these characters, Rose, my heroine, these vignettes that I played out. The inclusivity has always been there, the safe space to live in a world and experiment with it, to feel safe 
when you feel like a little bit of an outcast in your real life, which was my experience when I was a teen. But fan fiction is more mainstream now. Like so many other things, geek culture with a new intonation on the word geek. Now something mainstream. It's also, and from my research, always has been something very female-led as a practice. So I just thought it would be something fun to talk about. I'm LA Beatles, and welcome back to Unsinkable, the Titanic podcast. This is a brief and inclusive history of modern fan fiction. As always, I want to begin by thanking my latest Patreon members. I want to extend a huge thank you to Michael, to Kristen, and to Katie. Patreon literally fuels the podcast. I cannot thank you enough for your support. It means the world. And just a reminder that if Patreon is something you've thought about, link is in the show notes and you can check out the page. The main perks there are bonus episodes once a month, which are fully formed, researched, 45-minute to an hour episodes. They're full episodes. And then also live streams that are going to be about every six six to seven weeks, probably. So those are the two main perks, but lots of other ones. So check it out. A reminder that merch is still available and is now printing on demand. So if you want a shirt, sweatshirt, I also added kids' tees, added a tank, that was kind of cool looking, added a few more products. So go check that out. Uh, If you are a Patreon member, there is a discount code on Patreon. And if you have trouble finding that, just shoot me a message, but it is there. And so that's another perk. If you're considering joining Patreon, the discount code essentially like knocks off the shipping for any merchandise that you purchase on Bonfire. So there you go. Thanks for tagging the podcast on Instagram and the shirts. Thanks for wearing them to the movies, sending pictures on email. You guys are amazing. I want to announce a meetup. I've mentioned it before, but now is officially on the books. An Asheville, North Carolina meetup on March 16th, which is in just a few weeks, which is really hard to believe. But that is going to be at Burial Beers Asheville Tap Room. I will put the link in the show notes. And that is going to start at 6 o'clock. And it's a come as you are, just hang out, talk to other Titanic people, meet everybody. I have absolutely no idea how many people I'll have for Asheville. I'm, I know I have listeners in the area, you know, looking at my data, and I know I've got listeners in uh, parts of Tennessee that are really close to there. So if you're in the area, please consider popping by, have a beer or have a soda or grab some food. They have really good food at Burial. So anyway. That's happening, and I'm excited to meet anybody that can make it. The Austin meetup was so much fun, and we had a really good group, so I'm excited to do it in Asheville. All right, to the episode. Just quickly, I want to warn that this episode will contain discussions of sexual themes. Now, nothing too intent or graphic, 
not at all, but I will be discussing how sex and sexuality plays a big role in the history of fan fiction. So just wanted to make sure that was clear. Now, over the past year or so, I have received messages on and off from some of you about Titanic fan fiction and even specific stories that are still being written. And some of them are incredible. A few months ago, I fell into a deep rabbit hole of older stories too, then some of these newer stories. And it really astounds me how popular fan fiction has become and how prolific some Titanic authors still seem to be in these communities. I wax nostalgic about my own forays into all of this. And guys, they were... I think that they were some of the best of the bunch in 97 because we were all still sort of learning this thing. And for a 13-year-old, I think they were pretty good, but they were... I mean, I cringe, but I wax nostalgic as well. And pretty soon I was just kind of antsy to make some sort of episode about all this. I looked into the copyright rules a bit, though, and it wouldn't be legal or fair of me to read Titanic fan fictions to you or to quote directly. That's not what I can do here, and I don't want to uh, encroach upon anybody's writing. So I decided that what would be fun to do is to go off on a little tangent and look into the history of fan fiction and the world of it that Titanic fans kind of slipped into in 1997 and 1998. And that's really one of the best things about this podcast. You know, people ask me all the time about the possibilities of longevity of a podcast like this and repetition or it being too niche. And I feel like this is the perfect example of an episode that proves that none of that is true. There are endless ways in which we can examine the cultural history of Titanic and the films and the books. And this is, you know, one branch on a very, very, very big tree. So today I'm hopping on this branch. Titanic fan fiction is a thing for a lot of us. We grew up with it. We're interested in it. It is a culture. It is like a almost physical cultural component of this thing that we love. And then I researched the history of it, which is so fun. And it took me out of the Titanic world, certainly out of the world of the ship Titanic. And that's okay. So today's episode is tangential, but it is fun. And that's some of what we're doing here as well. All right. So fan fiction stigma seems now to be fading. There is definitely a legitimacy to it now. Uh, there's a website called Archive of Our Own. It's known as AO3 Online. They actually won a Hugo Award in 2019 for sci-fi and fantasy contributions. There are well-known writers, particularly in the sci-fi and fantasy realms, that admit to starting in fan fiction. And this is sort of where they started their works and their ideas. People like Meg Cabot and, no- and Naomi Novik. So what is fan fiction? We'll start there. It is defined as, quote, creative material featuring characters from works whose copyrights are held by others. This definition comes from Francesca Coppa in a book called The Fan Fiction Reader. There's a great article in The Atlantic from a few years ago by Shannon Chamberlain. And I will link that article as well as a couple of other ones that were really helpful for me. But she goes through, still in the quote, modern era, uh, only a couple of centuries ago, or I guess almost, oh no, three centuries ago. Gosh, guys, we're getting getting old. Um, Not really. Uh, But she goes through the origins of fan fiction 
So in the modern era, technically, but just way before anything that we really think of as fan fiction. So I'll go through kind of what she uh, summarizes. So recognizable contemporary fan fiction as we know it is circa the 18th century, so the 1700s. And it coincides with the rise of really the modern novel. You have, and this is an important benchmark moment in the history of fan fiction, Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travels, 1726, its hero, Lemuel Gulliver, was imagined by readers in 1726 in wholly new circumstances. It's popular, people are reading it, and people are essentially writing fan fiction. Famous engraver William Hogarth made graphic representations of Gulliver getting a Lilliputian enema. Now, Correct me if you think I'm wrong, but already in 1726, this seems to be, you know, fan fiction, whether in art or in writing, seems to be very much about, you know, maybe some repression underneath and needing and wanting to act out experimental things, fantasies, um, worries, concerns, you know, whatever it may be that the world is slowly turning to a modern era and human beings are maybe expressing themselves and kind of busting out of previous cages, so to speak, in new ways. Alexander Pope poems about wife Mary from the story from Gulliver's Travels uh, were about her being unsatisfied sexually. So, I mean, from both of these examples, I mean, fan fiction has always had Uh, sexual fantasy roots. That's not something new. Samuel Richardson's 1740 novel, Pamela, also popular. It was about a lady's maid on an estate. It inspired other novelists like Henry Fielding to reimagine it as a torrid affair with sexual components. That one by Fielding literally called Shamala or Shamala. I don't know which one it's supposed to be pronounced as, but that's this is in the 1700s. So times change. People don't. People are having fun and they're having fun writing about sex, which is not a lot of people, unfortunately, at the time would have gotten in trouble for it. But to me, people didn't want to do it. And some people were getting away with it. Uh, Most authors then, as now, were okay with fan fiction as long as the people writing it weren't openly profiting off of the characters that had been developed by these authors. In the 18th century, there was a building desire for more realistic characters as life changed societally and marriage was changing, relationships were changing. This is a transitional period in the 1700s and 1800s too on literacy. It's not until about 1900 that most people in, say, the U.S. or most people in, say, England or Ireland know how to read and write. Some more, slightly more recent examples. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, readers of his works formed clubs and wrote their own fan fictions. Uh, Jean Rhys, Uh, There's a book called The Wide Sargasso Sea that she wrote that is quite literally Jane Eyre fan fiction, but a novel. And it's a great novel. Uh, Even more recent, Neil Neil Gaiman, he has admitted to writing fan fiction. S.E. Hinton admitted to writing fan fiction. So, I mean, uh, Tom Stoppard, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead based on Hamlet. And we all wrote, at least in the U.S., we all read that in high school. Uh, Fan fiction is not something that was born online. 
it's just that's the latest incarnation of it. But it's something that culturally has been significant, has given people has inspired people and given people a chance to write and live in a space of something they obsessively love, which as Titanic people, we're all familiar with that need. Uh, Star Trek was a big transitional uh, sort of artifact in terms of fan fiction moving from the physical to online. So Star Trek fan fiction was largely driven by female viewers. Many women in STEM fields created conventions, self-published journals, fanzines, and these fanzines were full of fan fictions. And lots of like sexy goings on between like Kirk and Spock. I mean, this is all going on before fanfiction.net or archive of our own. Uh, In the 90s, X-Files fanfiction became a really big deal. And uh, there were racial elements. Some people experimented with the idea of one of the characters being Black. And that was just one more example of fanfiction being a space already where inclusion was explored, like radical inclusion instead of radical exclusion. So then we move into the internet era. And Mark Hill, writing for Vice a couple of years ago, and I'll link that article in the show notes as well, wrote that this is really where fans, quote, carved out their own little homes on the burgeoning internet. And it's so true. The sense that I had, even as a 13-year-old with very little life experience, I cannot drive home how little life experience I had at this point. But even as a 13-year-old, I felt safe and welcomed into a community of Titanic fan fiction writers and fan fiction writers more generally. And the internet can seem like such a scary place, and it's always had scary parts of it. But I cannot stress enough how safe that community felt, even in message boards and chat, meeting people. It really... One more reason why I think we romanticize the 90s, and rightly so. So fan fiction moving online really became, I mean, men, lots of men write fan fiction as well, but it became a very female space. And it also became a space safe to, you know, hone your skills and experiment with your writing. And we'll talk in a couple of minutes about a a few big examples of how people did end up profiting off of that uh, quite a bit. So I want to just establish that the elephant in the room is that fan fiction online, and as I pointed out, it's always been a little bit this way, is highly sexually charged. And that to me, and this is just my personal feelings on the matter, is fantastic. I feel like as long as stories have proper warnings and ratings, then it's just like a movie or it's just like a show or a book you might read. I am against censorship, and I think it is such a beautiful thing that fan fiction offers people anybody with a computer and some time, a way to experiment with their thoughts and or live out fantasies or, you know, take a character that's very beloved to them and give them a whole new life. I think it's, you know, it's, it's cathartic. It's therapy. 
and I'm pro-therapy. And a lot of fan fiction is queer. Uh, Rachel Rosenberg was writing uh, an article for Book Riot back in 2019. I'll share that too. And she starts her article by recounting her own venture into fan fiction when she was a teenager because she saw a place where women being attracted to women was okay. And she wanted to like find herself in a world like that and meet people and write about it. And it was very important to her, you know, exploring her identity. And like I said, a lot of it is hypersexualized. And as films and literature seem to be desexed, in my opinion, it can be really refreshing to have this nice safety valve, this like pressure release of fan fiction in situations like that. There are a lot of teenagers and young adults that are exploring their sexuality, are, you know, writing and becoming creatives and becoming artists. And when you're a child and a teenager, you just like I did with Titanic and why I will follow Kate and Leo to the ends of the earth with whatever movies they make. When you latch on to things that you love, it becomes a part of your kind of personal brand, your personality. And if you feel the safe space with that, that you love, that's a great place to write in. That's a great place to paint in. That's a great place to draw in, sing in whatever your specific art form may be. Like I said, we you know, I was having this conversation with my husband just the other night because we watched The Piano, the Jane Campion movie from, is it 93? Uh, we're going back and just watching some older films from directors that we like, just the ones we've missed. And it's kind of a project of ours right now. But we watched The Piano, beautiful movie. And some pretty graphic sex scenes in there, but they're so beautifully shot and they so match the tone of the film, the plot of the film, the actors are incredible. And we so we had this conversation like sex doesn't seem to be in mainstream movies anymore, not even art movies, not even indie movies. And to me, that's very dangerous. I feel like as human beings, it's such a large part of our desires, our life, our relationships, how we view the world, why we do some of the things that we do to have it be such a huge part of the human experience and then not see it reflected, say, on film anymore. To me, that's weird. To me, that's not good. Okay, some stats. On fanfiction.net, which is obviously one of the huge fanfiction sites, there are 40,000 Star Wars stories. There are 114,000 Supernatural stories. I never watched Supernatural, but I know people are really into it. And 743,000 Harry Potter fanfictions. Now, there are only 3,000 fanfictions of Titanic, but... Yes, that's a smaller percentage, but for a 25-year-old movie that has no prequels, no sequels, no merchandising, no TV shows, that's pretty astounding. And what I think is amazing is that for as much as James Cameron is often insulted or derided in pop culture for his writing, for his script writing, his scene writing, dialogue, I mean, his work sure has inspired thousands and thousands of people to write his characters more. So you can say anything you want, but to me, this is evidence that he is, as I've always said, uh, he is a storyteller at heart, and his dialogue may at times be simple, but he is telling relatable, beautiful stories 
that people, including myself, want to return to again and again. And that's not even to mention Avatar fan fiction, Terminator fan fiction. These things exist too. So if that's your cup of tea, that's there as well. Like I said, I you know went through 10 to 20 of the popular stories on fanfiction.net for Titanic. I called out on Instagram. A few of y'all sent me links to some of your favorites, and some of them are really, really good. Some of them are up to 200,000 words or more. And let me tell you, if this is something that you do, if you are a person who has written a $200,000, it's Friday, 200,000 word fan fiction, then let me tell you something. You have written a novel, and we'll talk a little bit more about how that could happen in a second. So I can't talk about specific stories. I don't want to call anybody out. I don't want to call names out. I don't want to de-anonymize anybody. Is that a word? I certainly don't want to be perceived as making fun of anything because I'm not. I love this stuff. So I'm just going to talk in generalities. Here are some themes that I noticed. Time travel and Titanic seems to be a big theme in these. Uh, new characters being introduced. It seems like it's becoming increasingly popular in Titanic fan fiction. And I don't know if that's like a symptom of people feeling as if the Jack and Rose story that we've done everything that we can do with it. You know, I bet a dollar for every story that I came across that was just, oh, Jack did actually survive miraculously. And he was in like the hospital wing of the ship and nobody knew where he was. And then he shows up at a hospital two months later and he's alive or they get separated in the water and they each survive on a separate piece of driftwood, whatever. The some version of Jack actually surviving and them going on to live a life together seems to be the most common. And I wonder if some fan fiction writers feel like that's just done. There seems to be a new focus on, say, Cal, for example, some Cal redemption. I ran across uh, a story where it's just about him and another woman falling in love. Uh, you know, that's great. It To me, the Titanic fan fictions feel a little weird and off when it's too much of a focus on side characters, but that's just my preference. Uh, but most of them are this, what we call AU in fan fiction, alternate universe. Jack survives somehow. Sex and childbirth seems to be really big themes. There is one story in which they're the very dramatic, like 30 chapter narrative about the ship doesn't sink. Rose can't separate herself from Cal. So she still ends up in Philadelphia, but she's pregnant with Jack's child. And then there's this dramatic birth, but then Ruth and Cal try to take the baby away. And it's, it is intense, you know, and there seems to be the fan fiction in Titanic and maybe particularly for say teenage writers, teenage female writers seem to be a safe space in which they can act out and I don't know, learn about how they feel about things like sex or things like getting pregnant or they, I don't know, it just, it feels very personal. Again, it feels very much like therapy, but uh, Rose having Jack's baby from being conceived in the Renault, in the car, very big, very big. I have, I've heard this from some people who also read fan fiction and some people who are also mega fans of the 97 movie, that this is sort of a longstanding fan you know, uh, wish fantasy, right? I think that a little part of Jack lives on. You know, I think a, a certain subsect of people, including myself, really watched the movie in 97 
thinking, is there a chance that Lizzie, the granddaughter in the in the modern day sequences, uh, is that is that Jack's granddaughter? They both have blonde hair. Maybe maybe one of Rose's kids that she popped out is actually a Jack baby. But anyway, so this is very very common. And there's also in these fan fictions an obsession with their if it is an alternate universe story where Jack lives, there seems to be an obsession with their sex life. And again, I think it goes back to fan fiction writing being a safe space. We live, at least in the United States, unfortunately, in a time where there seems to be a growing repression and pushback against uh, be openly talking about sex and sexuality. Uh, not with everybody, certainly not me or in my household, but there does seem to be uh, a sort of revival of very, you know, conservative and repressive values in terms of sex. It worries me. I think fan fiction is a fantastic place for that to be acted out because it is so safe. So these stories that are you know, Jack and Rose having a bunch of sex, I I think that's fantastic, you know? And again, with proper ratings and proper warnings um, on age brackets and things like that. Uh, another theme is officer fan fiction. There tends to be, uh, there tend to be a lot of stories about the officers. Fifth Officer Lowe pops in in one that I read and falls in love with an Irish passenger. There are alternate universe where Cal and Rose fall back in love and they actually are together and do well and live on. And that's doesn't interest me, but, but you know, to each their own. But, you know, overall, this, I just want to say the themes can be a little bit all over the place. I'm sure just as with every fan fiction, you know, niche or group, but it's a great way for people to experiment. So, you know, I talked about fan fiction being sort of newly legitimized and it really has best and big, biggest example. Now, these books are not my thing and I've never read them, but Fifty Shades of Grey, those novels written by E.L. James, right, is her name. Those started as a Twilight fan fiction. So she wrote those characters as Edward and Bella. And then once she realized that she had this super popular, obviously highly sexualized essentially full novel written, she switched the names, took out the obvious references to Twilight's, removed it from the fan fiction sites, took it to a publisher, published this thing. This happens. Uh, there was, I don't know much about One Direction, not my generation, but apparently there are these movies called After uh, that are based on One Direction fan fictions. There may be others in the works. Apparently there's uh, one... Uh, script floating out there where it's basically someone was inspired by Harry Styles and his propensity to date older women and wrote a whole fanfic about this and that's turned into a movie script. I don't know all the details, but it's it's in mainstream culture. Uh, it's used as plot devices in YA novels. Rainbow Rowell's Fangirl is a good example. Chris Colfer's Stranger Than Fiction is another one. But, you know, there also are negatives. Uh, some authors do not like this. <laughs> and 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 you you could easily make the argument that they definitely have a leg to stand on. They have created characters and taken their time to write stories that are copyrighted. Uh, Anne Rice, Diana Gabaldon, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, they are notoriously kind of against it. Uh, there was a famous lawsuit with J.K. Rowling a few years ago about some Harry Potter fan fiction. So it's just to point out the other side of it, that 
the legality can be a little bit of a gray area. Uh, there's actually a nonprofit called the Organization for Transformative Works that is part of the archive of our own site. It was founded in 2007 to try to protect fan fiction writers under this argument that it's just for fun, no one's profiting off of it. So it's, you know, anyway, that is sort of like the legal side of it. But I just, I want to conclude with a couple of things. One, in terms of specifically Titanic fanfiction, I think the reason I was compelled to take a look at this whole history, to go back and talk about this, is that I think there is this nostalgia for 1997 Jack and Rose, but also for 1997 movies, for 1997 Kate and Leo. It's like we want to circle back in time and we think if we circle back and we write it and we watch it and we make the montages and we're just in this loop, right, that somehow we might be able to go back to that time. Is there some sort of magic that we can latch on to and through fan fiction we, you know, we relive this moment in time we all wish we were there to witness? And I just think it's such a beautiful thought. It's how our brains work nostalgia is such a big part of of who we are. I think that creating is creating. Writing is writing. Feeling like you belong to a community is priceless. It's one of the most important things in life. And I'm going to end with something fun, but I want to say something serious, which is this episode, just a little kind of short, fun episode, but it m- really reminded me why I do the podcast. I make this podcast, but I have found that the most rewarding thing is that it allows me to be a part of a community that already existed. And I have met so many people from all over the world that I can feel safe with and relate to about these obsessions. I'm the same person who sat in that pink wallpaper, wallpapered, pink wallpapered room in the late 90s. This is just how the obsession comes out lately is the podcast. It came out in fan fiction that way. But We can't run away from what people call the nerdy or the weird parts of us. They're often how we experiment with the world, and it's how we meet people like us and feel safe. And I really value that. And whether it's the movie or whether it's Titanic the Ship, I hear from so many of you every week that it is this love of it that makes you feel part of an online community or makes you like turn on the podcast, take a walk around the block and feel like that warm, gooey inside feeling of, I feel seen. I love that someone's taking the time to research this. I want to talk about this more. I want to reach out. It's it's amazing. That's what life's all about. And I'm so happy to be part of it with you. So thank you. Now, want to end with something fun. So I asked, uh, I asked chat... Uh, GBT, the AI chat platform, uh, to write me a fan fiction. And I am going to read it to you. When I asked it to just write me a short Titanic fan fiction, this is AI software. This is pulling it from the ether. This is what came out. As the Titanic made her way across the Atlantic, Rose stood alone at the bow of the ship staring out at the endless expanse of water. 
It's not bad writing, AI. She was lost in thought, thinking about her impending marriage to Cal Hockley and the life of luxury that awaited her. She knew that she should be grateful for the opportunity. Mm, See, AI can't really get in the nuance of feelings, right? Mm, Be grateful for an abusive husband. Uh, But something deep inside her yearned for more. Just then, a young man appeared beside her, leaning on the railing and gazing out at the sea with her. He was handsome and kind, with a gentle smile and eyes that sparkled with intelligence. Beautiful, isn't it, he said, breaking the silence between them. Yes, Rose replied softly, surprised at how easily she felt comfortable around this stranger. They stood there for a while, lost in conversation, until a sudden jolt shook the ship. They both stumbled and Rose felt a sense of unease wash over her. What was that? she asked, her heart racing. I'm not sure, the young man replied, his eyes scanning the horizon. As chaos erupted on the ship, Rose and the young man found themselves working together to help others and ensure their own survival. In the midst of the disaster, they grew closer, their shared experiences forging a deep connection. And when the Titanic sank beneath the waves, Rose clung to the young man's hand, knowing that she found something more valuable than any diamond or piece of jewelry. True love. Years later, as an old woman, Rose stood on the deck of a ship, gazing out of the sea once again. But this time, she wasn't alone. Beside her stood the young man who had saved her life so many years ago, their love having endured through the decades. Together, they watched the sunset over the water, knowing that they had been blessed with a love that was stronger than any tragedy. Not bad writing, AI, I'll tell you. So there you go. It wrote me a little fanfic about if Jack and Rose had met just right before the sinking. I did ask AI to write me a fanfiction that had a sex scene in it. I was just curious if it would do it. It said, I'm sorry, I cannot fulfill this, fulfill this request. Uh, and then it gave me a little uh, warning about how I only need to ask it things that are that adhere to ethical and moral standards. So I got in trouble with the AI. But I asked it to write a fan fiction involving Trudy the maid. Here's a little uh, snippet from that. Quote, Trudy was a young maid who had recently been hired to work on the Titanic. She was excited to be on the most luxurious ship in the world, and she wanted to make sure she did her job well. Her duties included cleaning the cabins of the wealthy passengers, serving them food, and doing whatever else was needed to ensure their comfort. One day, while Trudy was cleaning one of the cabins, she noticed a handsome young man sitting on the bed looking out the window. He turned around and smiled at her when he saw her enter the room. His name was James, and he was a wealthy businessman who was traveling for business. So, businessman traveling for business. So there you go. Now, they would not write me a sex scene, but you're telling me this is not, this is a romance. Like, AI has found me a romance between Trudy the maid and a random businessman named James. I love it. And then, you know, I asked it, I said, can you write me a queer romance on Titanic? And it totally did. Evelyn was a young woman traveling on Titanic, excited to start a new life. She always felt different from the other girls in her small English town, but she didn't understand why until she met Emily. So here it comes up with two totally new characters. So, you know, I found that it was like really fun. I've I've been a little hesitant to use the chat GBT thing, and I have a lot of opinions about AI, but just in terms of using it kind of like Google and asking it to do this fun stuff, it really is a f- very, very entertaining full circle moment for researching fanfic and sort of how it evolves. I did try to do 
I asked it to do one with Cal and Ruth as a pairing, and it did it, but then it had Ruth's character all wrong and said she was blonde and like 20 years old. So, you know, AI, that's the point. It's not perfect. All the information is is not going to, to mesh, but it was a fun uh, little experiment. So there you go. Some fan fiction history for your weekend. And, you know, I want to say, too, that Titanic in fiction, so Titanic the ship in historical fiction, that's not fan fiction. That's that's fiction. And I do have a an episode from very early on in the podcast. I believe it was like episode five, where I talk with Chelsea Pinkard, who is a great uh, person who's in the Instagram community for Titanic. And she is she collects ship and Titanic novels and books and posts a lot about them. And she's so well read and so learned in this topic. So I had a conversation with her. And then I want to let you know something exciting, which is she's going to come back in a few weeks. And we are going to talk about any new books, what some of the trends are with Titanic fiction. And I want to talk about some of this I've talked about today with her as well. So hopefully we'll have time to touch on the fan fiction a little too. All right. I will put recommendations for the reading in the show notes. In the meantime, as always, make sure you are subscribed to the show on your podcast player of choice. And if you have a free minute, please rate and review. It really helps the visibility of the pod. The pod listenership is growing every day. I, in February, am on track to have my highest uh, listened, uh, you know, downloaded month uh, by far of the history of the whole show. So I'm so grateful for your listening. I'm so grateful that you're here. Keep spreading the word about Unsinkable. And, you know, if you're not on Instagram and haven't followed me there, it's a great spot to see how the community is growing. There's so many people uh, that are just weird Titanic heads, and it's amazing. And uh, check out my website. My events are updated there. Uh, I am presenting a live show at Titanic on the Grand in Mackinac in May. It's May 12th through 14th. It is a completely immersive Mackinac Island Grand Hotel experience. The whole weekend's Titanic themed. It's a package. Go to their website to check it out. If you are able to join us, I'm going to be doing a live show as part of the Saturday programming, and it's going to have a Q&A component as well. I am beyond thrilled to spend a little bit of springtime on Mackinac Island. I have never been I can't wait to put on a ball gown and eat the multi-course Titanic dinner and just completely immerse myself. The Grand Hotel is one of the most beautiful spots in the country. So again, take a look at the info. I am beyond thrilled and grateful to be included in this experience. I cannot wait. What else? A couple of podcast recommendations. Just recently started binging This Had Oscar Buzz, a fantastic movie podcast. 200 episodes at this point to binge. They take a movie that, you know, based on the pedigree of the people in it or the director had Oscar buzz and then it ended up getting no nominations and, you know, possibly failing in some way. So they take a look at a lot of movies that have problems, but they find their redeeming qualities. They find humor in them. They talk about the actors' filmographies. They've done a few Kate and Leo movies. So if you're a Kate and Leo person, that's a good entree into it. I listened to their recent episode on The Man in the Iron Mask. And then, you know, even as a Leo person, that is not one 
that I've ever really gone back and rewatched. So then last night I went back and rewatched it and just a hoot. It's a fun podcast. Um, I've mentioned before, but the Reference Desk, great history podcast, uh, deep dives into different topics every week. And exciting news, I am going to be doing a collaboration with them that you will get in your feeds and their feed sometime in late March, probably. I'm stoked about that. Um, So yeah, there's a couple of recommendations for you. Have a fantastic weekend or whenever you're listening to this, whatever your day is, I hope it's going well. I will see you soon for bonus episode on Patreon uh, at the end of the month, which is going to be on Edwardian fashion. Very excited about that. And uh, in the next couple of weeks, I've got a couple, I've been in research mode, which is why I haven't been on Instagram as much, a couple of heavy hitting episodes coming uh, on ship stuff. So yeah, I'm excited. Talk soon. Bye guys. (laughs) 